Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the sermon. So great to be with you guys this morning. Let me say welcome and good morning to all of you joining us online for week four of our series, Be an Example, where we are looking at this text that Paul gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. So if you have a Bible or if you have the Bible on an electronic device and you want to join me in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, if you look at your Bible and you go to the New Testament, kind of the middle of the Bible, and go towards the right, uh, you'll find Colossians 1, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy. Um, as you're turning there, let me just say a reminder for those, if you weren't in here for our countdown video, Easter, Good Friday, it's coming. Good Friday uh, at 7 p.m., Good Friday services, 7 p.m., invite you out to that. Please come join as we reflect and look at the crucifixion, the cross of Jesus, which will set us up for an amazing celebration on Easter. Uh, Easter service times are the same as they are now, 9 and 1030. Uh, please invite those who may not have a church home and want to come and uh, celebrate with us uh, the resurrection. We are having a very special Easter service where we are doing baptism during our services. And so if you'd like to be baptized on Easter, please let us know. Stop by the welcome uh, desk on the way out. Email Pastor Tyler. Let us know. We would love to celebrate that with you on Easter um, with Easter baptisms. So, over the last three weeks, 1 Timothy 4.12, we've looked more or less at an overall understanding, kind of looking at the verse in the context around it, um, the greater context. Last two weeks, we've looked at our speech, we've looked at our conduct, uh, which were really our two areas that are observed, that, that, that are watched or experienced by those around us. And now we turn to the part of the text that really kind of moves more internally, but it's what's inside of us that's going to, to really motivate and compel and propel us outward in our speech and our conduct. And so we look at being an example in love, and all these, again, come together. And they are a part of the life of a disciple. This is godly living, and the, the whole text really is the principle of a disciple's life. That we want to be, that our lives would point to the lighthouse of hope that is Christ as we are that example, that the example within us is Christ through us and uh, others would experience that until Jesus takes us home or he comes back. So let's look at our key verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity. And today we look at in love, and over the next two weeks we'll do faith and purity leading into Good Friday and Easter. Now there's a lot of texts in scripture that talk about love and our love for one another and how we are to be an example in love towards others. For example, uh, John, verses, John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this to his disciples and to the others that are around. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And in verse 35, he says, by this, by your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's Jesus' words to his disciples. John, no doubt, was there. And so when we move to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John writes this, 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And those are just a couple of examples in Scripture, but what we see here is that this, this principle and truth of loving other people is throughout. And we think about Paul's instruction to Timothy, set an example in love. Obviously, all this coming together there as well to be an example in our speech, conduct, and love. And our love is going to influence our speech and our conduct, at least it should. So we understand these words that Paul gave to Timothy also within the greater context of what Jesus says to us is the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, Matthew records Jesus responding to the question of what is the greatest commandment. Verses 37 and 39. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to come back to that text in just a little bit. So what we understand, in order to love others, to be an example in loving others, it begins with being loved. You can't love others from an empty tank. You can't love others if you haven't experienced or know love. So it begins with being loved, knowing and trusting and believing you're loved. And my question is, do you, do you know that today? Do you feel love today? Those of you watching, do you feel love today? I've said it in the past, and I'll say it again, you have never lived an unloved day in your life. And hopefully through our time together, you will see that scripturally. You've never lived an unloved day in your life. So when, the, when the, the lie comes in that no one loves you, that you would rebuke it to know that God loves you. And Jesus' words in Matthew 22 really sets us up with an illustration that we've used over and over here in a church. And that is that we need to be right vertically in order to be right horizontally. And we'll watch that kind of play out as we look of what God has for us this morning. That's what I'd like to do is take our time this morning and think about that we're loved by God because it begins there. It begins with God's love. He made the first move towards us. We celebrate that at Christmas, the incarnation. We are loved, which leads us then to love God and to love others. And in that, we would fulfill the words that Paul gave to Timothy, the fill, fulfill the words that we see in the, the verses that I've already shared and, and a lot of others, that we would set an example, you and I, disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, through repentance and faith, confession, that we would be an example in our speech and our conduct that is loving. And it's understood by commentators, again, that this first part, that this that this part of the text should follow speech and conduct because it is the catalyst for our speech and conduct. It influences so that we are that example. So let's begin. The first one, loved by God. This is first and foremost, this is foundational. This one has to be the bottom row. This one has to be settled in our hearts and our minds that we are loved by God, the theologian Augustine, some pronounce it Augustine, said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. Let that sink in. Especially as we look at this text, John 3, 16. You know the text, most likely. You've heard it, even if you're not a, a friend of the Bible or have learned the Bible or have read the Bible or have heard the Bible. You've seen John 3, 16 because 
It's one of the most, most well-known verses of the Bible. And this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, I think it's so well-known that sometimes we, we move or miss the impact. We move over the impact that it should have in our lives because we just kind of take it for granted. We've heard it over and over. It becomes comfortable to us. But this little verse... It's really a mini Bible. It's been characterized, it's been called the mini Bible. It sums up the Bible for us. It's a very important verse to us, for us to know and to grasp God's love for us. And it's not just a select group of us or a particular portion of us, but for all of us, everybody. But when we come to this text, sometimes we can leave it without understanding the love of God because we don't know God's love language. You ever done this study, the five love languages? Anybody familiar with that? Well, this text helps us understand. And the five love languages, by the way, is, is, a, is a study where there's five languages of love that you can do if a spouse or uh, uh, in a relationship where you can learn how other people experience love from others. But sometimes we can come by this text and, and, and miss the understanding of God's love because we don't always love language. And we listen to John 3.16 and we hear the fact about God's love, but the verse speaks to us about the manner of God's love. And, and just so we are all on the same page, we are loved because of who he is and not who we are, which again should come through this. The truth of God's love is hidden with the nature of God's love. So we cannot really know that God loves me until I know how he loves me. I cannot really know that he loves me until I know how. How does God love me? See, I think we can live in darkness while the light of John 3.16 shines God's love right on top of us, right in our face. But we stay in that darkness if we don't know how God communicates his love for us. That's why we believe God's expanding our campus, wants to complete it so that they would experience that light of God's love all people. This verse declares God is a lover. God is a lover. It goes against the, what some believe about God. Over the years and even today, some think God's angry. God's just a tyrant. That he's a cosmic killjoy. Some look at God as the disappointed parent sitting in his heavenly living room waiting for the disobedient sinner to come home. Others view God as indifferent, thinking God could, you know, does it, and he cannot care about the world or anyone in it, that he set this thing on its axis, spun it, and took off. Others view God as temperamental. They view God's love as something to be earned, and they spend their entire lives trying to earn it. And as they do that, it produces legalism, which then results in pride or despondency, but never reveals the true love of God. But John 3.16 stands against those misinterpretations of God's attitude towards us. And God declares that he loves us. John 3.16 says God loves us. God loves you. John 4.7, 1 John 4.7, which I mentioned er earlier, the verse right after that, verse 8, John wrote, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
God personifies love. In fact, if it has to do with God, it has to do with love. If it has to do with God, it has to do with love. Uh, Pastor, writer, H.B. Charles Jr., he, he says this about God's love. Mercy is God's forgiving love. Grace is God's undeserved love. Peace is God's comforting love. The will of God is God's unerring love. Providence is God's caring love. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's proven love, which we will celebrate in a few short weeks. Sanctification is God's nurturing love. Heaven is God's rewarding love. And eternity is God's unending love. Praise God. Paul would write to us in Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why I said his love for us has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. You're loved. You are loved. You're loved with a divine love, an eternal love. Go back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, God made the first move. He came to us. He gave his only son. God gave his only son. Not just a son, but his only son. In other words, there's nobody like Jesus. There, there's nobody was born like Jesus. Nobody lived like Jesus. Nobody died like Jesus. Nobody raised up like Jesus. Nobody is coming again like Jesus. Praise Jesus. Jesus is God's only son. God loves by giving. Remember that as we get through this. Jesus is God's only son. When it says God loved us, by giving his only begotten son, it's telling us Jesus Christ is what God sent when he cared enough to send the very best. How did God say, I love you? It's a question you might wrestle with. It's a question that may come up throughout your life. How do I know for sure that God loves me? How does God say, I love you? And I know some of us just hear the words, but we never see the words in action. How does God say, I love you? Well, he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Now listen to this. He who made glory before the world began came down from glory, down from the heights of divinity to the depths of humanity. I read the rest of this quote before, and I'll read it again. An uncreated divine person who had eternal preexistence took on the form of a created being and became what he was not in eternity, flesh. He who in eternity rested on the bosom of the father without a mother, in time rested on the bosom of his mother without an earthly father. He who in Eden's garden took from the body of a man a motherless woman, in Bethlehem's barn took from the body of a woman a fatherless man. The ancient of days became the infant of days. A baby as old as his heavenly father ages older than his mother Mary. He who made man yet was made in the likeness of men. He who created the angels was made a little lower than the angels. He who said before Abraham was, I am, was born 2,000 years after Abraham died. He 
who was Abraham's seed, was Abraham's savior. He who was David's son was David's Lord. I know God loves me because I know he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul echoes how we should respond to that. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You are loved. We are loved by God. And we could spend the rest of our time, I could talk until my voice goes out, talking about God's love for us. But it leads us, and it should lead us, to loving God, which is number two. And God loves us. Hopefully you've understood that in a special way this morning. 1 John 4, 19. Our response to God's love for us. We love because he first loved us. God made the first move, and we respond to that in loving. His love love leads us. It should lead us outward. Timothy hearing from Paul. Paul saying, be an example in speech, in conduct, in love. The love that we have for God should lead us outward in our speech and conduct towards others as we love them. And we're going to get to that. Remember the greatest commandment text, Matthew 22, we looked at earlier from our position of knowing we are loved, we now turn to loving God. The most important thing that you and I can do is love God. The most important. Nothing else stands above this. Nothing else sits above this. The most important thing that you and I can do is love God. Let me ask you, what did you do last night? What did you do yesterday? What did you do earlier this morning? Maybe some important, maybe some good things. But when God offers the greatest ultimate experience and relationship that you and I can ever have, I have to ask myself, did I love God more in that? Was I able to worship God more in that? Because the greatest thing and the most important thing that you and I can do is love God. Because we were made in a way where our hearts are restless until they find rest in Him. And so the most important, the number one thing, in Mark's account of Jesus responding to the question, what's the greatest commandment, Mark chapter 12 Jesus responds in 29 and 30, and he begins with the most important is, first of all, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he goes on to say, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. The foundation to the call to love God, the Lord our God is one. It's the foundation, meaning that there are no other gods, little g gods. There are no other gods before him or greater than him. And Jesus is saying the most important is to love God with everything. That that this is the most important. There are no, no other gods worthy of being loved. And you and I make terrible gods. The things of this world make terrible gods. So Jesus begins with what's first and most important, loving God. And we have the verb agape, love. It's a verb, and I'm not here to give you an English lesson because that would go terribly, terribly wrong. But what I know about verbs is that they're active. They're in motion. 
So when Jesus says that we are to love God with everything, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, love God with our intelligence, love God with our will and purpose and choice and sacrifice and obedience, he gets our emotional love, our phileo love, our attractional love as a response to the true revelation of who he is. Why do we love God? As I already said, it's, he's worthy. He's worthy, which is hopefully we've already witnessed today. We love God because it brings the greatest benefit. Why else would Jesus answer the question with love God? Love the Lord your God. Love God, number one. First and greatest. Jesus' own words emphasize that it brings the greatest benefit. Everything in our life, especially our example, is rooted in how we respond to God's love for us and our love for him. So I talked about the illustration. See, we have to be settled vertically. Knowing God's love came to us, we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation. God's love in Christ walked the perfect life that we couldn't walk, and he died the death that we deserved, and he went to the grave, and he raised three days later. We're going to celebrate all that at uh, Good Friday and Easter, so come back for more. And he ascended to the Father's right hand. And one day, the promise is he's coming back to set up his kingdom forever. He did all that for us. And so we have to get right vertically as God came to us in love. We respond to God in our love, surrendered devotion. And that's going to be able to lead us outward. Because let's be honest, it's hard to love others at times. Especially if you're trying to love them without a settled love in your life, a love that's immovable, a love that's a rock, a love that cannot be overcome by anything. Everything in our life, especially our example, is rooted in our love for God. And the question that comes up sometimes is, does that mean I can't love anything or anyone else? No. No, it does not mean that. In part of loving God, we enjoy the gifts God has given to us. But only as we enjoy the gift giver as most important. See, sometimes we get those out of order. We worship the gift and not the giver. But if we want to love God, we love the giver more than the gift. And we worship the giver by the gift that he's given us. But if we get them out of order, it goes wrong. That's why, though, the first commandment, most important, is to love God, the gift giver, and enjoy the gifts rightly. We love God, again, with that intelligent love, scripture-informed, emotional love, right? Our, our love to others, and a willing love, an active love, right? It's all-consuming love. Could say God's love toward us should never be returned half-heartedly. So we love God with everything, everything. Or you could say we love God with abandon, everything I have. And this is so important, and I'll say it a couple times. Not the only thing I ever do is love God. Meaning, like, because of this, I don't hold myself up in a closet and just spend the rest of my days in a closet just reciting or saying the words, I love God. It's not the only thing I ever do is love God, but everything I am doing, I am loving God by the way I do it. That's the example. 
It's not the only thing that I ever do is love God, but everything that I do, I'm loving God by the way I do it. That's our example. And again, that leads us out to loving others. We love God because he loves us. Now it's going to lead us this way. And let's be honest. Again, you can't, you can't really love this way until this is settled because this way is challenging and hard at times. We love others. We're loved by God. Leads us to love God and now to love others. That's the great commandment, right? The Bible teaches us there is great power in love. And love for one another conforms us to the example of Jesus and makes us more and more like our perfect heavenly Father. You look at the whole passage of Scripture in 1 John 4, which we've been quoting out of, you may notice John is convinced that loving God and loving others cannot be separated you cannot love God and not love others. And you cannot love others without loving God because in loving others, you're going to fall short in doing that if you don't love God because he's the one propelling and empowering that love for others. How else do we love our enemies? In our flesh, we don't love our enemies. We want vengeance. We want revenge. But in the spirit, as we love God, he loves us. We love others all. No doubt, as John wrote 1 John 4, he had the words of Jesus in Matthew 22 in his heart and in his mind. Paul's instruction to Timothy was, again, to be, to set an example in our speech, in conduct, in love. And we ask, how do we do that exactly? Again, the foundation is knowing you're loved. The response to that is loving God. And then we move outward. So 1 John 4, 11, John gives us this help. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John argues from the greater to the lesser. If, and he does, by the way, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Ought involves an inner compulsion, a moral obligation. Look at how he has loved me. How can I do anything less? This is an expression of our divine duty. God, godly living demands godly loving. And you notice that all these verses, especially the ones Christ gives us, are imperatives, meaning they're commands. They're not, they're not up for discussion. <laughs> and again, I know it's heavy and it's hard and it's not easy at times. That's why we got to be so founded on who God is. First and foremost... The act and the example of God's love in sending and sacrificing His Son teaches me, which requires me and inspires me to love others. God's love for me is my motivation to love others, as it should be. So, so how do we love others and set an example in love? 1 John 3.16. Go back a chapter, another 3.16 for us. John wrote this, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So Jesus teaches us what love is and what God is like. He is our example of self-giving, sacrificial, and loving love. What does it mean to lay down our lives for others? When I first read that, the first time I was reading through Scripture, I mean, all the movie scenes that you can think of, it invokes kind of that picture of the heroic moment where the person kind of jumps in front of the bullet, right, to save the life of someone they love. All those noble and heroic acts, and we can't imagine, like, how do I, how do I 
do that and express that in loving others, which is why we like the next verse, John 3, 1 John 3, 17, because he helps us. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So to lay down one's life for others means opening our hearts to the needs of the people around us. And that involves practical acts of love in ordinary matters of the everyday life. Even today, we love the people we see. We lay down our lives for others to love, not just the people we like or the people uh, we choose, but the people right around us, and especially those in any kind of need. Don't overthink this. Don't overcomplicate this. Loving others in speech and in conduct. Imagine you know, just allowing the, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, just in a few ways just come out in loving others in kindness and gentleness, self-control. When that person cuts you off on 501 on your way home or wherever you live as you're watching online, self-control. That's loving. And if we do that collectively, we can get through the traffic a little easier. Help me out here. Sometimes we overthink it. You overcomplicate it. I do it. We think it's got to be these specific acts or these specific ways, and we got to do these specific things when it's not that complicated. John goes on to say in verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Again, we are called to action in love, not just to talk about loving others. The nature of a true Christian love is grounded in the nature and the character of God and the incarnation. That is the action of God, the incarnation, Jesus coming, right? He didn't just talk about loving us. He acted upon his love for us. I mean, so this love is not simply an emotion. The way we feel or an idea we talk about. It's God in Christ showed his suffering love for us. The painful act of laying down his life for us on the cross, we're also called to act for others. Love is something we do. It's not simply something we believe. Sometimes we get caught in that. But it's action, committed action. Loving others is not predicated on liking or agreement. Through Jesus, we can love others who we don't agree with. That's why I said you got to be right vertically if you're going to do this right horizontally. Not because I said it, but because the Scripture teaches it. Jesus himself. Can you imagine just for a minute when Jesus spoke those words out of John to the disciples? Can you imagine John looking at Peter going, I have to love your impulsiveness and all the things that you do and you imagine just some of them looking around because they were all different and had different hang-ups and different challenges and things. And Jesus just said, listen, the way you love each other is going to be your testimony to the world. They're going to know you're mine. So love is an action, not just them, to all people. Love sees the pain, the suffering, or the need of a friend or a neighbor or, or even an enemy and does something about it. Love is practical. It's not abstract, it's not theoretical, it's concrete. And listen, the greatest love we express to another person is pointing the people to Jesus who loves them more than we could ever love. Love values the other. 
Love is vulnerable to the other. Love is sacrificial to the other. That's why, again, we have to be so rooted in God's love for us no matter what. And our love for him no matter what leads us outward to love, to be sacrificial in love, to be vulnerable. Paul commends Timothy to set an example in love. May we do the very same thing. Hear this, and we'll finish. Someone needs you. Someone needs you. I don't know what there is for you and me to do this week. All I know is that there is someone out there who needs you. There's someone in your circle or someone around you or someone that God's going to weave across your path who needs you. Send an email. Write the card. Make the call. Stop. Give your undivided attention. The list goes on. But this week, let us love others with the love that God has for us. Let us be the example in love. In a culture of narcissism, where it is extremely easy to be self-absorbed and kind of caught up in our, preoccupied in our own lives, we could not hear a more radically different call in our lives in the words that we've heard this morning. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for another. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you. Thank you that this commandment to love others is not... It's not motivated or founded upon ourselves or our flesh, but it's, it's founded in the spirit that you've given to us, another gift to guide and to lead us to love, to be an example in love to the world that watches us, that we would love one another, that we would love others in the same way that you've loved us, that we wouldn't overthink it, we wouldn't overcomplicate it, but we would just simply allow you to lead outward through us to love those around us for your glory, for your kingdom. And God, again, if there is someone here or watching who has never experienced your love, they've never known the greatest love that a human being can, can know and have and experience and encounter and hold on to, may today be the day that they see Christ through the cross and the resurrection, the true demonstration of your love towards us, how much you loved us, that you gave your only son so that none would perish. God, may they respond to the invitation to know the love of Christ through repentance and faith. May today, may they say a prayer inviting you, responding to you, calling on Jesus as Lord and Savior, confessing sin and believing as the scripture teaches, and may they be made new. God, enlarge the family today. We pray that for all those who don't know the love that we know. May they know your love forever and ever. In Jesus' name.